Good to see. Open your Bibles to Romans 8, Romans chapter 8. Good morning to all of you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. We've been hearing from friends from Haiti about the devastation of Hurricane Matthew. Uh, let me tell you just a little bit of how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, Praying Pelican Missions, who are our, our partners uh, in, in Haiti, uh, we've taken several trips with them. Uh, our last trip, uh, as we said, uh, this past summer was to the village of Lakai, and that is the uh, ground zero for the hurricane's devastation, came right there at the coast. Uh, it was our first trip to Lakai, and it was Praying Pelican's first water project, clean water project. Our church has developed something of an expertise with clean water because we've done this work in Indonesia. And this past summer, we took that work to Lakai. We took water filters and, and built a water filtration station there for the village at, at, at Lakai. Uh, understand, Hurricane Matthew comes through, and, and now the issue is clean water. But ahead of that hurricane, our church took fil- filters to, 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 to villages, to, to houses. We, we created that system. And so, uh, I mean, that's just the way the Holy Spirit works. There are people who have clean water now after that storm because of our work this past summer. Uh, and it was their very first clean water project. And again, our very first trip to Lakai. So, uh, but that's how the Spirit works. And, and when we give to missions, when we send our teams, when you put in a little extra money to buy a water filter, this is the difference that makes. Do you understand that? This is the difference that, that, that it makes. And the Holy Spirit can see so much further than we can see. Let's talk about life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is where we have been for several weeks. Going to start in verse 18 today. In Romans chapter 8, Paul sort of sees two important moments of your life. uh, Two moments that sort of bookend everything else, especially when it comes to God's action in your life. What do you think those two moments are? What would be the first moment uh, for Paul, that first moment that really matters in your life? It's not your first day of school. It's not the day you get married. It's not the day you discover the blood orange lemonade at Blaze Pizza. It's none of those amazing days. What would you think would be the first amazing day in your life, according to Paul? Yeah, salvation, exactly. In Romans 8, in Paul's terms, it's the day that you receive the Holy Spirit. It's when life in the Spirit begins. It's your salvation when you receive God's Holy Spirit, when His inward presence and inward power begins to operate in your life. That is the moment life begins because that's your life in the Spirit. That's the first moment. What do you think is the the second moment when, when God's action really begins to operate and your life will be different forever on? What do you think will be the second moment? First is receive the Holy Spirit. The second is not a word. No ideas. The resurrection of your body. You know, we almost don't even think of that as an actual moment in our existence, a moment in our lives, but Paul does. And if you're reading Romans 8, you shouldn't have missed that yet. I mean, these are two moments of your life when you receive the Holy Spirit and when your body is, I mean, your body, you understand, your body is coming back. You're going to die, but God is going to raise your body and then you leave from, from this life into eternity. Eternity begins with the raising of your body. So for Paul, life in the Spirit has those two critical moments, the the moment you receive the spirit and then the moment when your body is raised from the dead but what is there to say for all of that time in between that life in between those moments what what is there to say for it well paul kind of has two words they are suffering and glory 
suffering and glory, those two things come together. And now we're going to start in verse 18. Notice how suffering and glory work together. This is beautiful. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Here we go. Yet what we... What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's Curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. What we suffer now is nothing. What we suffer now is nothing. Outside of Lakai, there's a woman. Her name is Gisette Maurice. She's 62 years old. She lost her husband in 2007. When she lost her husband, she was desperate and poor. And so she began to scrape out a a, a meager living by by, by farming rice in in the tiny field. She just farmed rice, and she had enough money to live. And and with whatever money she could put back, she put the money back because Giselle wanted a house. Now, when I say house... You have to understand what a house would mean to Gisette Maurice. It's not the house like you live in. It's, it's maybe more like the, the shed where you park your lawnmower. But it's very important to Gisette. So she farmed rice, and she put her money back. And if she had extra money, she would buy sheets of metal, or she would buy uh, cinder blocks, concrete blocks, and build as she could. took her nine years, nine years to build her house, nine years, cinder block house with a metal roof, nine years. She moved in last December, December, she moved in with her children and her grandchildren and her relatives. There were 19 people. Nineteen people in that tiny little house. Nineteen people. And this month when Hurricane Matthew came through, destroyed her house, tore the metal roof off, trees fell and knocked down most of the walls. 
all of her belongings gone, including birth certificates of her children and grandchildren. Her children and grandchildren are among the half a million children in southern Haiti right now who may not go back to school for a year. She's a 62-year-old woman. And she's starting over again. Paul says, what we suffer now is, is, is nothing. But we suffer. And women like Josette Maurice and people of Haiti and others all around the world, it, it seems like they suffer more than their fair share. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just seems like some people do more than their fair share of the suffering of the world. Well, let's get a couple of things straight. This is from Romans 8. First off, I know that some people don't even want to say this out loud, but, but life in God's good creation involves suffering. It permits suffering. Now, there are even members of the Christian family who try to deny that. They try to say that when you're walking in the Spirit that you can be wealthy and healthy, that everything else comes from lack of faith. If you just have faith that you can somehow live above all of this, that's not what Scripture says. But life in God's good creation involves suffering. Now, understand all of the words in this sentence that really don't even seem to go together. Uh, it's God's creation and it's good. God created it good, and yet it involves suffering. This is the paradox of our Christian faith. And by paradox, I mean it's, it's, it's almost contradictory that God created uh, everything, everything that we see, everything that we know that God made it, and God made it good, and, and yet something has gone so ab absurdly wrong. I mean, just take Hurricane Matthew as an example. I mean, there's something really wrong with creation. God did not create this world for death and decay, but, but now we see creation around us just subjected to, to death and decay. It, it's God's good creation. God knows about everything, and God cares about all of us, and yet life and God's good creation still permits this kind of, suffer, this kind of suffering. How, how do you explain it? How, how do you hold this together? That's why Romans 8 is good. I mean, I mean, Paul helps us understand. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Okay, listen. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. That's the way the New Living Translation translates that. But your translation probably uses the word futility. All creation was subjected to futility. Now, what is futility? Somebody define the word for me. Futility. Yeah, just uselessness. Uselessness. Futility has to do with a thing that is no longer functioning for its purpose. Now, elsewhere in Romans, it says that all of creation is capable of revealing to us the glory, the majesty of the creator, and it is. It's not that creation no longer reflects God's beauty, God's, uh, God's nature at, at all, but the point is that there's something now broken. There's something profoundly broken in creation so that now we have earthquake and, and cancer and cholera and hurricanes and all kinds of things that seem random, things that do not function at all to, to, to show us God's plan for the earth, to show us God's intention that creation would work for human benefit, all of it now subjected to futility, futility. 
It has to do with something no longer accomplishing its purposes. It's kind of like that exercise bicycle that's parked in your house. You know what I mean? It's parked there, and like you put stuff on it now, like your husband, when he needs a shirt ironed, he hangs it on the handlebars, and like those pedals never move. You know, it's futility. In other words, it's there, but it almost doesn't make sense. And if nothing ever changes, it'll always be there. And it'll never make sense because it's never, ever used for what it was created for. And that's futility. And creation now is sort of like that. It's it's parked. It's, it's someone's pushed pause. And God's purposes are no longer completely fulfilled in, in, in creation. Now, here's the important point that Paul makes. This apparent randomness and chaos of the world is not God's doing. It's ours. It's just what you have to grasp. The, the sin that Adam and Eve brought in, into the world, the sin that you and I continue to perpetuate, it affects creation. That curse was brought upon creation because of human sin, but that curse has affected the ground. Go back to Genesis. I mean, God says, Adam, because of you now, the ground is going to bring forth thorns and, and, and thistles. No longer will you just go out and plant and live in harmony with creation. Now everything is going to come by toil and sweat and blood. I mean, you understand creation suffers, creation groans. This is what Paul says because of the futility that we have subjected it to. Our sin has consequences for the environment. I mean, this is what scripture says. The earth suffers because of our sin. So now this suffering that you and I experience, the suffering in our lives, you got to understand there's a, there's a planetary context for that. There are two important moments, the moment you receive the Spirit and the moment when your body is raised from the dead, but in between is brokenness. And in between now seems to be just randomness and chaos. But, but that's because of our sin. It's the curse of sin. That doesn't reflect God's doing. It reflects our doing. So now creation groans. The other word that Paul uses, I would just use the word travail. The King James Version uses travail. What is travail? Women? Yeah, it's birth pains. Travail is, is the labor of giving birth. And this is the language that Paul uses here. It's actually beautiful. Back to verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Verse 22. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the hurricane that ravages a, a nation, understand, this is creation's groaning. Creation suffers and, and it groans as in travail, as, as in childbirth. Now here's the point of travail, and this is what Paul wants you to see in Romans chapter 8. Something wonderful is to be born out of the end of all this pain. Something wonderful is to be born. And that's why travail is such an amazing, amazing way to talk about the, the suffering and pain of creation, the pain of our lives. Something wonderful will be born out of this. This is what Paul says. Now, the day you were born, you nearly killed your mama. You know it? You nearly killed her. I mean, I've never seen anybody born until my son was born. And I came along in that generation where we got to be in the room. But now, again, our son's 22. 
22 years ago when my wife was pregnant, we would go to Lamaze classes. I don't think y'all do that anymore. But we went to, they put the man through Lamaze class, mostly so we could be in the delivery room and not be in the way. They were just training us on, on how we could possibly be of help. I was no help. No help. Primarily because my wife did not want anybody touching her or talking to her. You got to understand, my instinct when somebody's in pain, I go to them. I want to, you know, I want to stroke her hair and say, honey, it's going to be okay, honey. You know, just like they, they coached me, you know, breathe, honey, breathe. One, two, three. She's smacking me away, you know. You know, she won't breathe. She, she wants to push. I'm saying, don't push, honey, just breathe. And she's just looking at me like, I could kill you. I will kill you. If you don't get out of my face, if you touch my hair one more time, I will kill you. I mean, this is her. And my wife ordinarily is a Christian woman, a, 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 a good woman. But our son weighed like 22 pounds. I mean, who knew? I mean, this just, you know, giant, slimy. I mean, and, and, and she is in incredible pain, incredible pain. But now our son is 22 years old, and there hasn't been a single day when my wife said, you know, Wade, you nearly killed me the day you come. I mean, no, no. I mean, the moment, the moment that child was born, they put him in Casey's arms, and we are just all, oh, look, he's just a little angel from heaven, you know? I mean, she's never even thought, of, I mean, until this moment, she's never thought about that pain again. I mean, my mama's the same way. I nearly killed my mama when I was born on a Sunday night. But, you know, as soon as I was born, man, I mean, look, I mean, she was just so proud and happy to have me. Just forget all about the pain. You just forget. And this is what Paul says. Creation right now is, is, is in travail. It's, it's, it's labor pains. But something wonderful is going to be born on the other side of this thing, on the other side of all of this pain. This pain is not the final answer. This pain is not the end. And this pain is not going to define your existence. You ever started watching a movie and you think, man, I don't know what kind of movie this is. Is this supposed to be a comedy? Is this supposed to be a drama? Is this supposed to be a murder? I don't even know what kind of movie this is. Because sometimes at the beginning of the show, you don't know. Sometimes early on, you don't understand what's happening and how all of the pieces will come together. But this is what Paul says. At the end of this thing, all of the pieces come together. And at the end of this thing, it is not a tragedy. At the end of this thing, it's not just a story of pain. It's not just a story of barely getting by. At the end of this thing, you're going to find out that this has always been, always been a story of glory. Always. You don't see that now because you don't see the end. But Paul says there is an end, and it's not like what you imagine. This pain is not the last word. There's something wonderful being born on the other side of all of this pain. So understand, something is passing away, and something's being born. C creation, this world, is, is in this painful transition Things are passing away. and Things are being born. And this is what Paul says. You have to understand this. This is life in the spirit. And it's not just in a global, in a planetary sense. This is your life. There are things passing away. And part of what's guaranteed to pass away are your troubles, your trials, is pain. It will not last forever. It's going to be swallowed up in victory, Paul says. You understand what I'm saying? passing away. The pain is temporary. So when Paul says what we suffer now is nothing, he's not saying that the pain is not real. He's simply saying the pain is temporary. 
What we suffer now is nothing in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed at the end. So you understand, if you put the pain on the scale with the glory that's coming later, you don't see the glory yet. But this is the promise of faith. This is life in the Spirit. That all of the pain that you could possibly lay on the scale, it will never, ever, ever outweigh the glory that's going to be revealed. The pain is temporary. That glory is eternal. And this is what we're moving toward. This is how we continue to move forward in our lives. We move toward glory. Uh, Absolute glory. Pain, suffering is real and horrible, but it's temporary. The coming glory is infinitely better and eternal. Infinitely better and eternal. It took Josette Maurice nine years to build her house the first time with what money she could make in the rice field, which is now flooded with mud. She's lost this year's crop. Present suffering is real and horrible. It's temporary, but, but when you're in the middle of this temporary, it's, it just seems to last forever. It's really frustrating, isn't it? It's really frustrating. I told you the story about the man named Gus who was outside Piggly Wiggly and came up on this older lady who was trying to start a car that wouldn't start. Gus was a mechanic. So he went over to her, picked on the window and said, ma'am, can I help you? I mean, your car's not starting. She said, yeah, I know. My husband says that when it does this, you need to jiggle the wire. He said, well, what wire? She said, the wire to the battery. He said, well, pop the hood. Let me look at that. So he popped the hood, and sure enough, the positive cable that came off in his hand. <laughs> he went back and said, ma'am, I can fix this for you. I'm a mechanic. She said, no, 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 no. Just jiggle the wire. My husband says, just jiggle the wire. He's thinking, well, lady, your husband isn't here. To, you know, he ought to drive around with you and jiggle the wire if that's the way he wants to do this. She said, but ma'am, you don't understand. If, if you just give me a crescent wrench... I can fix this, and you never have to deal with it again. She said, no, no, that's okay. Just jiggle the wire. He said, no, ma'am, seriously, I'm a mechanic. If, if, you, just, if, if you have a crescent wrench in the glove box there, just look, and I, I can fix this forever. She looked kind of nervous, a little confused, but she reached in the glove box, and sure enough, there was a crescent wrench right there. He said, just give me, just give me a, a minute and a half, and he went around, and he, he tightened that, that cable down, closed the hood, said, ma'am, you're fixed, you're good. You'll never have to jiggle the wire again. And then Gus realized, in our lives, we're just always wanting God to sort of jiggle the wires. You know, we just want God to fix this, this, this problem we're having right now. And the problem we're having right now, I'm not making it small. I mean, sometimes the problem you're facing right now is life and death. I mean, sometimes your problem is, is gigantic to you. And other people in the world may have worse problems or easier problems, but it's beside the fact your problems are your problems. And when, it, when they're yours, I'm telling you, the pain is real. But at the same time, you've got to understand, God... 
is a great big God, and he cares, and he knows about the suffering of the entire world. And God is not going to just jiggle the wires on this thing. God's just not going to jiggle the wires a little bit so that he's constantly jiggling wires. What God is doing is, is making a whole new heaven and new earth. What God is doing is taking us all to the point where all of God's children are revealed, and all of creation is mended, and all of creation is restored to the glory that God intended from the beginning. What God intends is that we all stand in one place and he wipes away all of our tears for all eternity. You understand? He's not just jiggling the wires on this thing. He is making all things new. He's making all things new. So in the meantime, this, this suffering that we experience in the present time, it, it's temporary. Paul says it's nothing now. It's nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Two important moments in your life. The moment you receive the Holy Spirit and the moment when he raises your bones. The moment when he raises your body and you step into eternity. Glory forever. In the meantime, Paul says, futility. It seems random. It seems purposeless. But it's all leading to a purpose you just can't see. it. It's like... Everything is, is giving birth. Everything is groaning in the pain. But understand, on the other side of all this pain, something wonderful is being born. This is the promise of our faith. Something wonderful is being born. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for Gisette Maurice, her children and grandchildren, all the people like her around Lakai. The thing is, Lord, it's not just Lakai, and it's not just Gisette, and it's not just her children and grandchildren, Lord. It's, it's the whole world. It's the whole world. I pray for all the people on the cancer floor at Bowling Green Medical Center, right? <laughs> I pray for them. Lord, I pray for all of those getting on their clothes and making their way to J.C. Kirby's funeral home. Right, right now, they will spend their day at the cemetery, Lord. It's not just Haiti. It's, it's not just Bowling Green, Lord. It's the entire world of people that live lives, Lord, captive to death and decay, to disease. We don't ever know when the earth will quake or the tornado will come and blow our lives to bits. We never know. Lord, this whole creation is absurdly broken. We long for the day. We long for the day, Lord Jesus, when you will come. Make all things new. We understand that right now the pain that we're feeling is temporary, but something wonderful is being born out of it. So, Lord Jesus, give us patience and give us confidence to bear the pain, the temporary pain, that we might know the glory that lasts for all eternity. Lord Jesus, we know that this is true. We know, Lord, that this is how it is because you yourself have revealed yourself to us by coming down, becoming one of us, taking your place on the cross where you bore our suffering. 
You have shown us, Lord God, that you know and you care because you have made yourself the suffering God. And you have shown us that on the other side of death, there is a resurrection that swallows up death itself and destroys, destroys all of the meaninglessness and purposelessness and curse of our sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promise of the gospel and the hope that it gives us. Now, Lord, today in this house, in the sound of my voice, her people, in whose lives things are passing away, Lord, there are things dying in us, and it's painful. There are loss that we experience nearly every single day. Help us, Lord, not to give up hope. Help us to lean into the gospel and lean into the promise that present pain is temporary, but that the glory that you have for us, being born in all of this turmoil, is going to last forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this hope. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the strength to bear up under the weight of sorrow and anticipation the overwhelming weight of glory through Jesus in whose name we pray.